This is Gross Anatomy, where pop culture meets health culture. Let's get to it. Hello. Hi, Mel. Hi, Dr. Cohen. How are we doing? Hey. We're doing amazing. I am finally so excited to have Mel here with us. Hi, Allie. Hi. Let's pick up where we just left off. Dr. Cohen is having a coffee at 6.30 p.m. Cheers. It's controversial. You should take a picture of it, I think, right? Yep. Here, I'm taking it. So, done. Yeah, Yeah, good on you, because I cannot do that. I'll be up all night if I even try. If I drink caffeine past noon, I can't sleep that night. I cannot. So, I actually cut myself off at 10. Wow. 10 a.m.? 10 a.m., yeah. Just to make sure I can fall asleep at night, so. Wow. I, I... Actually, no, I'm, I'm happy that I do it the way I do it. I mean, it gives me a quick little boost, but then I don't want to jinx it. Now that I'm saying it, I'm sure I'm going to get home tonight. I'm going to be tossing and turning and not being I'm like Mel, so I, I second I second her cutoff. I occasionally will have a little bit if I'm crashing, but I'm usually even a matcha person because coffee really wires me, too. Yeah, same. And yeah, some. and I wish I could because I love the taste of it or, you know, especially if you get some sort of latte or something and people love going to coffee in the afternoon and I just, I can't bring myself to do it. But if I need a boost, I'll take, I'll drink mushroom tea or, or mushroom coffee or like mud water, something that has a little bit of caffeine, but not a lot. But then the mushroom kind of make up for it. I love this episode of gross anatomy. It should be coffee gross anatomy. I know. We'll have to, yeah, weave that in to the title or the subject. We definitely have part two and part three, I think, then. Yeah. Um, Mel, have you been having mud water coffee or a different mushroom brand? I've been having Four Sigmatic. Oh, yeah. I've heard of that. Out of Venice. Yeah. Yeah. I love their cordyceps mushrooms, mushroom coffee, but also just the elixir. I'll drink that when I don't want caffeine or if I'm about to work out or something. And that just gets me going, especially during COVID when, you know, you don't want to take your mask off. I Mm -hmm. was drinking that in the morning and that would keep me going all day. That's amazing. Wait a minute. Wait a minute. I just heard you say cordyceps. I had never heard of cordyceps. Have you, Mel, ever heard of cordyceps? It was pre-COVID, so... It had to have been over three years ago that I started drinking it and I loved it. Yeah. And during COVID, I would drink that. It's a mushroom? It's a fungus. Yeah. Yeah. It's an adaptogenic mushroom or something. Yeah. But I never heard of it being something that could get people sick or, you know, and infect someone. But obviously in The Last of Us, you know, that whole series, it can. Who knows? Nobody knows. What about you, Allie? I was asking if you ever heard of cordyceps pre or in general at all. I had heard of cordyceps through brands like Four Sigmatic and Mudwater and a few other mushroom beverage brands. So, yes, I had. And I know nothing. All right, let's get into it. Yes, I want to give Mel's intro so we can discuss why she's here talking about mushrooms and coffee with us. So Mel is a cardiovascular perfusionist. I've never said that word before, so I hope I'm getting it right by trade, in which you can see her playing one on the medical show Grey's Anatomy. She's also a founder of Real Medical Consulting, a company that provides medical consultation services to TV shows, films, and commercials, and Isla Medical Foundation, a nonprofit that collects 
medical supplies from sets and sends them to remote locations. Welcome, Mel. Thank you. Anything to add to that? Did I encompass all of it? Yeah, that's me in a nutshell, pretty much. I love it. It's an amazing bio. And I, Mel, I think I just discovered you. Did I just discover you on social media? Is that kind of how I found you? I think so. I've definitely heard of you from when I worked at Cedars, but we never worked together because I was mostly cardiac or spine ortho. And I know that there's another Dr. Cohen at Cedars, Lou Cohen, I think, oh, yeah. vascular. Yeah. So I knew that there were two Dr. Cohen's because I remember when I first started, they were saying, oh, there's two Dr. Cohen's, two Dr. Hunt's, two, you know. Oh, that's right. Yeah. But the two Dr. Hunt's are related. My Dr. Co- the other Dr. Cohen and I are, are not at all related. He's retired now, although semi-retired. He's still around. Interesting oh. Dr. Cohen story. To make a long story short, I used to always get his mail and his phone calls and he mm. would get mine, even though he's much older than I. And he was kind of in charge of the OR. So I would always get these weird calls and interactions in terms of running the OR when I was a brand new puppy at the hospital. And it was kind of a weird thing for me, but I almost thought they maybe wanted me to run stuff. But unfortunately, <laughs> I love that. I was going to ask how you two met. So it sounds like at Cedars, you first heard of each other and then you also crossed paths on social media. Yeah. And then it turns out we have a mutual, you have, a, she's a really great friend of yours, that a nurse, Emily, who used to be a nurse at Cedar sinai a zillion years ago, Kind of, I think we started out, she and I, at the same time, and then she wound up marrying a colorectal surgeon who I'm very friendly with, Iman Feruzman, that you grew up with, right, Mel? Yeah, I did. Both of our dads worked at the same hospital together in Ohio, and they moved there together. And so we were kind of the only two Filipino families in the tri-state area at the time. So we just kind of grew up as cousins, and we still tell people to this day that we're cousins. I love oh, that. Awesome. There's a camaraderie there, being the only yeah. two Filipino families in Ohio at the time. Yeah, and our dads actually, they went to med school together, I think, or residency oh, wow. in the Philippines. So they were best friends. And then, you know, we grew up together and Emily's actually the one who got me the job at Cedars. So oh, wow. yeah, it all happens for a reason, I guess. I love that. What kind of doctor are your dads? What kind of doctors? They were both surgeons, I think, in the Philippines. And then when they came here, my dad ended up being an assistant surgeon. So he assisted in cardiac surgery, which is how I learned about perfusion. And then I think Emily's dad became a psychiatrist. He went back Ah, to school for that. Nice. Mel, could you tell us what perfusion is for those of us who don't know, who may be listening and also me? (laughs) Yeah, absolutely. So to keep things simple, it's basically I'm the person who controls the cardiopulmonary bypass machine, which is also called the heart-lung machine during cardiac surgery. So the surgeon needs a motionless and bloodless field to work on. And so in order to do that, we have to stop the heart and the lungs. And so we operate the machine that keeps the patients alive during that time. Got it. So it's a low pressure job. Totally. (laughs) Super low. For both of you, I'm sure. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. I want to ask both of you how you got into medicine as well, because those are really both of you are very intense. Jason and I will talk at the end of the day and I'm talking about my work day and I hear about his and I'm like, what inspired you to shoot so high and choose a job so intense? Sure. Well, somehow I didn't think it was going to be as intense as it actually can be sometimes, which I actually observed a heart case before I went and changed majors. And 
for some reason that didn't connect. It was going to be a super stressful job, but I'm Filipino, which there are lots of Filipinos in the medical field. And I was super stubborn throughout high school and college. And I tried to resist being in the medical field and I went into engineering and I realized that it wasn't for me. And I wanted to kind of be able to do more with my life. And like I mentioned before, my dad worked in cardiac surgery. So he was like, Hey, why don't you look up what a perfusionist is? And I was like, a <laughs> what? <laughs> He's like, just look it up. Just look it up. Yeah, exactly. So I looked it up and then I was able to actually observe a pediatric cardiac surgery. And I was just in awe that like this tiny little baby's life can be changed in a matter of hours. And I honestly thought that I felt a calling to that. And so when I went home, I changed majors like the next day. Wow. Amazing. Wow. I still don't know what I want to be when I grow up. <laughs> That's that good. Yeah, exactly. I I kind of also was o- always on, you know, same kind of thing. I, as a Jew, you know, all Jews, either they have a choice, especially, you know, when your dad was dirt poor. You know, my father grew up with zero. So he thought, you know, the only way to become something is to go to college and either become a doctor or a lawyer and if you're not smart enough, no disrespect, an accountant. So, uh, you know, that's the Jewish joke. So I kind of always thought I was going to be a doctor. And same kind of thing. I, I actually in college became an art major, as some people know, and kind of have gone on this interesting journey and path. But it's kind of what I what I always felt like I was going to be to some degree. That's the short answer. The short answer. And then both of you have explored fields or like niches where your medical experience melds with some entertainment. How did that happen? What drew you to entertainment? Well, I've always had a creative side and I actually growing up, I wanted to be an artist. And even throughout high school, I wanted to go and major into with something that deals with art. And then I decided to go with a more practical major, which was engineering. I thought was that was a good idea. So I've never really had an affinity for entertainment, but once I was introduced to it, I absolutely love being in it because it allows me to show that creative side, but also still stick with medicine. So it's kind of like medicine brought me back to art. So I'm in I'm in a really good place where I can do a little bit of both. That's really cool. So how did you get introduced to it? It was super random. Grey's Anatomy was looking for a perfusionist and it's such a specific specialty that there aren't a lot of perfusionists out there or who are interested or even available. And so my name came up and they called me up one day and they said, hey, we have this thing coming up. I think it was called an ex vivo lung transplant. And can you help us with this scene? And, you know, I thought, okay, this is awesome. Grew up with Grey's Anatomy, a once in a lifetime opportunity. Let's do it. And so I did it and they kept calling me back kind of year after year, a little bit more and a little bit more. And, you know, I became kind of like a regular there. I, I've only had lines once, but I'm more in the background and there to make things look real. That's so cool. What what was the season that you got to be on your first season when they called you? What season was it? I'd have to think about it. I think it might be season seven or eight. Wow. They were already that far along. Yeah. That's amazing. And what season are they up to now? 
they're far. 18 or 19. Yeah. Yeah. I think next they're, year's 20. Wow. Yeah, they've been around now. Uh, anatomy seasons. And Immediately 19 comes up. So they're at least wow. And they yeah. just and they just randomly, because you were perfusionist locally, they just randomly found your name or did someone kind of make the intro for you or someone made the intro. I think it was a clinical specialist that worked with Gray's during a specific storyline. And then they also covered Cedars. So she knew who I was. And so she recommended me to the medical team there. It's wow. amazing. And what was yeah. that like the, the first time? Were you, did they have you in the writer's room with them or did they have you on the set? What was that like that first time there? It was really, it was really, I don't know. It was kind of thinking back on it. It was pretty amazing because I never thought that I would be in the entertainment industry. And on such a big show. I remember walking in with my light blue scrubs on that I had from college and thinking that I had to wear my own scrubs. And they're like, oh, that's cute. You wore your own scrubs, but you know, we have our own that you wear because it's costumes. I, I didn't know anything about television or filming. And they just had me on set. They had already written the script. They sent me the journal article, uh, what the case was based off of. And then they just made sure that I was there to help them make the whole setup look real and and prime it with blood and oh, fake blood. And and then I actually was able to be on camera with Sandra O oh in the scene, which was huge to me because when I was going through perfusion school, people would call me Dr. Yang. And so it was just kind of full circle moment where I was actually working with Dr. Yang on this show. That's amazing. That's like yeah. a manifestation moment. That's wonderful to hear it that way. Were you nervous? So nervous. So nervous. Oh, I couldn't. I because then uh, the medical advisor, her name's Linda Klein. She's amazing, and she's been there since season one. She was like, "You have to kind of memorize what some of the lines are and do the same thing with the lines, so that there's continuity in each scene." So then I'm starting to get in my own head, like, "Oh my gosh, okay." I grab the clamp when she says, "What are you doing?" And I'm like, ah, you know. So, um, but now it's you know now it comes naturally, and I I kind of do that. But it was such a great great tip that Linda gave me because I still do those things to this day. Wow. That's really cool. I didn't even know that they were basing those off of journal articles or real cases. That's information to me. That's really interesting. Yeah. Actually, a lot of the, the medical stories are based off of case reports or medical news throughout the world. And then they kind of just judge it up for television. Right. And even I know specifically of two of the storylines that had to do with people who I know. And one of them worked at Cedars. And so it was a story based off of the news, you know, local news. And then the other one was a patient that I had back in Ethiopia, which is crazy. I met him back in Ethiopia and he was having surgery on his hands because his hands would just grow tumors on it. And the surgeon who did multiple surgeries on him, he is based out of L.A. And so Gray got the storyline from the surgeon. And so it was crazy. And I was actually able to bring the patient to the set while they were filming to, so that he can watch a little bit of the filming. That's amazing. That's amazing. You have a few full circle moments there. That is that's so cool. Yeah. And and what's your evolution? So you started like that as a perfusionist on the show. And then you said they kept calling you back. 
Yeah, it started as that one episode. And then it might have actually even been one or two years later, they called me back to help set up a heart lung machine. And then the next year, they called me back like two or three times. And then the following year, they called me back, I think six times or something. It just depends on how many cardiac surgery scenes there are, or if I can be used in any other types of scenes. And so then I just became kind of like a regular face on set. And then it's evolved into like a whole business now? Yeah, so it's evolved. And that happened because someone called the people over at Gray's and they were asking for a medical consultant, specifically with ECMO, I believe. And so then What's they ECMO? referred me to for, this for show. Ali's sake. What's ECMO? Yeah, for Ali's sake. <laughs> ECMO stands for extracorporeal membrane oxygenation. And basically, that's just a more compact bedside version of a heart-lung machine. Mm-hmm. And so you can transport patients on it. Or, for instance, during COVID, we would sit bedside with the patients who couldn't properly oxygenate, and we would help oxygenate their blood for them so that their lungs can recover. That's amazing. And I've this is for both of you, but I would say either post-med school or for you, Mel, also post-entertainment experience. Were you guys watching shows and movies differently already? Maybe that's that scene doesn't make us fully sense or how do you watch previous episodes or, or movies with that eye already with a little bit of a critical eye? Absolutely. hundred <laughs> percent. Good answer. Yeah. And that, you know, that's Mel. I don't know if you know, that's kind of how this whole podcast birthed, you know, to some degree is, is the whole premise behind it was actually because so often I'll watch a show or someone will ask me, you know, my kids or their friends will say, hey, I saw this thing or this thing is going on in the world. Is it real? Is it true? And that that was kind of where I saw this on TV. Does this really happen? And that was kind of the the spark that got Gross Anatomy podcast kind of going. In fact, Ali, I think you may have even been, it's possible, maybe you or, or a different one of my daughter's friends would ask me all these questions before I started the podcast. was It could have been you, Allie. I'm not sure. Is this real? Did it happen, kind of? Yeah, yeah. Like, I saw this thing. Is it real? Pre-COVID, even. And, and that was like you know what? I'm starting this podcast. That's amazing. I love that I helped inspire. It's a full circle moment for me too, then. We're all having, <laughs> we're all so coming many back full around. Circle moments. That should be the title, full circle. Are there signs for you guys when a show or a movie hasn't had a medical consultant, like it's just going rogue with jargon that doesn't make sense or something like that? Yeah, I would say for me, I watch it. And if there's kind of like a gross misuse of medical equipment, or, you know, passing of instruments is incorrect, I would say that that is kind of my sign that they don't have a medical consultant or someone on set to show them how to do things correctly. But now that I have more of an understanding of how filming works, I also have a lot more grace when I'm watching the shows because I know that you wouldn't code a patient for five minutes and then call it. But nobody wants to watch a team code a patient for a full episode and then that's it. So you do have to abbreviate things. And I also do know that it's hard to identify sometimes when there's not a medical consultant on set because you have to you have to tell the story first. And so in order to do that, sometimes you have to 
let things go, which is very difficult as a healthcare worker. And so, and like, I'm even getting uncomfortable even saying that because, but you do, because you owe it to the story first. Mm -hmm. And so, for instance, I had an actor who didn't want to wear a mask inside the operating room, which would never happen. And his reasoning is that because he wouldn't be able to show emotion or empathy during that really serious scene. And so the director made her decision, okay, no mask for him. So, you know, I have to let that go. But then someone watching would be like, oh my gosh, that guy's not wearing a mask in the OR. He could be contaminating everything, blah, blah, blah. But, you know, there's a story behind it. So that's where I have a little bit more grace where I I can see where there was maybe a conversation behind that. You switched to the dark side there, eh? (laughs) (laughs) She's seen both sides now is what we're hearing. Wow. Yes. I've seen in some shows, I don't remember which ones, where the doctor, while they're scrubbing up, they don't have their mask on, like it's down, like the way my mask is. They're scrubbing up, and then they go into the OR, and when they gown and glove, the nurse behind them puts the mask on. Have you seen Have you seen them do that in some TV shows, just to have their face more out during the scrub-up part, and, and when they first walk into the room? Yes, and I am guilty of allowing that. <laughs> I've seen that, too. I agree yeah, with that. happened in real life either. I didn't know no. that. I thought that was the order of operations there. Nope. Absolutely not the order of operations. But again, in order to tell the story or to show the conversation that they're having at the scrub sink, sometimes they want to see the faces. And and more often than not, they want to see people's faces. Mm-hmm. We're keeping yeah. in mind America's attention span there too, I think, right? But that's a yeah. decent workaround, I think, is, is, you know, having the mask go up at least. Yeah. Are you the one who figured that out? No, I definitely have seen it in the past. Take the credit for it. (laughs) He's like, yes. That's that's been happening way before I became an on-set medical advisor, yeah. (laughs) But, see, I'm lucky because I got to work on set for probably about six to seven years before becoming an on-set medical advisor. I was, you know, working mostly on camera and doing things in the background, but I got to watch Linda Klein work as a as a medical advisor and I got to watch some of the things that she does and some of the shortcuts that you can and cannot take during filming and so I was able to have that experience behind me before I even stepped on the set to be the medical consultant. Is she still on the set too? She still is and she's directing now too. Oh wow. Good for Linda. Yeah. I want some tea from you guys. I'm going to ask you to spill some of the least realistic medical moments you don't have to give names if you don't want but maybe scenarios that you've seen in shows or movies where you're watching it and you're just like there's no way mel are you watching yellowstone have you watched yellowstone at all i have not no Uh, No. okay because there was what we talked about on an earlier episode there was one scene where kevin costner's character had like a bleeding ulcer and they had the veterinary surgeon, the veterinarian, took him in her van, like her truck, and opened him up awake with her vet instruments and somehow saved his life. And I just recently, we're just recently watching Yellowstone, my wife and I. So I thought that was pretty ridiculous. But I don't know. That's yours. Was he in any sort of pain during this scene? The crazy thing is he stayed awake during the whole thing. You know, he didn't pass out or anything. Yeah. <laughs> 
I, I don't know. I think they gave him like something to chew on or something. I don't even know. I don't even know. Like a rag. Yeah. I feel like I've seen the scenes where it's like a rag or alcohol. They just like chug a bottle and somehow they're awake and everything's fine by the end of the scene. Yeah. Yeah. And they can, they can just handle everything. Cause he's a cowboy in that show, right? Oh, yeah. So maybe he's just so tough that he can handle it without passing out. I think you yeah. hit the nail on the head there. He's a cowboy, so he's tough. <laughs> and that's why. Yeah. Yeah. We've cracked it. Yeah. Yeah. I've had, oh my gosh, there are so many, so many, especially, yeah, I can't even think, but like, because I, I watch a lot of medical shows, or at least I try to kind of as research and just to see kind of what's out there. And for me, anytime a resident is running anything, when the resident is running the whole hospital during a blackout or running surgery or doing surgery in an elevator or something like that, I'm just like, how is this possible? It's always (laughs) an elevator. Yeah. Why is it always an elevator? There's always an elevator, I guess, to show that it's like the last they're the only person who could possibly do it because they're stuck in an elevator. But mm-hmm. yeah, I mean, just a couple of weeks ago at our hospital, a resident got in trouble because he wouldn't give up his sitting stool for a surgeon to sit on during surgery. So this was kind of an important part of the surgery and the surgeon always sits down during this part. But for some reason, this resident thought that they had a right to sit on the stool more than the surgeon did and wouldn't give it up and he got in trouble he got written up for it or or whatnot but that's just like a stool so like how do these residents on these shows run an entire hospital when this guy can't even not give up his stool how is this resident telling surgeons what to do but our resident can't sit down that's that's great context for everyone listening if you guys can also give more context on the hierarchy there what is the order it's surgeon and then who below directly the nurses are in charge the no. nurses are in charge to some degree, that. They, really, they really are right don't you agree mel in the or maybe the surgeon's in charge of that room but the nurses kind of control the operating area don't you think absolutely 100 percent. they run everything you can't basically get anything done without the nurses i've yeah. heard that but that's good that's great hearing it directly from you guys and from professionals i picture already pictured them as direct and in my head, the surgeon is the star of the show there. So I can picture it more clearly now. One lesson I've learned over the years is if you want to get things done, you be nice to the nurses. I mean, and the techs and and the all the technicians and everybody, you know, if you want to get things done, if you want to get your room clean, if you want to get in your, you be nice to everybody. Because at the end of the day, I'm just the actor, you know, the, the, I'm not. I'm not the director or the writer or the any of that. I, I'm just kind of the hired talent, if that, barely that. I'm just a plumber, maybe. A plumber. You heard yeah. it here first. He's a plumber now. Yeah. <laughs> That's funny, the plumber. Yeah, I would say, I don't know if you guys know, but there's first directors, first assistant directors on set. And they're kind of the ones who run the show. They kind of know 
everything that's going on with the scene, with the cast, with the crew, everything like that. So I see the nurses being the first assistant directors because they're just, nothing can get done without them. And mm-hmm. you can't even start surgery without their blessing. It's a good parallel to draw. That makes sense. Mm-hmm. That's easy for me to understand. And then what about for both of you, have you seen really realistic? It sounds like maybe Mal too, you've seen some of these extremely realistic cases where you've had a, a specific patient you've even treated before, right? And then you later are doing their case, their journal article, their case on a show. Have you guys watched shows and been like, yeah, that makes sense, or I've heard of that before. Like, I used to watch House and they'd have these like really elaborate things, or then they figure out it was this the whole time. Have you watched that and been like, oh, learned something even? I don't know. I'd have to think about that. If you want to go ahead, I'll, I'll, I'll let me think about that. So I still remember from an early TV show, maybe from St. Elsewhere, which was like one of the first medical shows pre-Grey's Anatomy, pre-ER. It was kind of the show that got me thinking about maybe even becoming a doctor. It was a show St. Elsewhere. And the actors in that were Anthony Edwards, who played Goose in Top Gun, Howie Mandel from whatever talk show he's on, Denzel Washington was in that. I mean, it was an amazing cast. But I remember there was one character who had the heart was racing, had an arrhythmia, and they couldn't control it. And someone took this ice bucket bath and splashed it on the guy's face or put put the person's face in this ice bucket bath. And it brought their heart rate automatically down. And that's like a real thing. And I I still remember to this day that it's like a a real thing is immediate cold water stimulates the parasympathetic, the vagal nerves and brings could bring the heart rate down. And I just thought it was pretty cool. I've seen it. I've seen it on other episodes years later in other shows too. Occasionally. Have you ever seen that one? I feel like I have. I may have seen it on Grace. (laughs) I'm sure. I'm sure. It's It's a recycled. Yeah. A recycled put your face in cold water. I've even heard that. My sister did that when she had a hangover once. She's you have to put your face in ice water. And I'm like, what? So the hangover cure, the ice water is, is helpful. Maybe oh, the ice water now slows down your heart rate. You get, get no more racing heart. Exactly. exactly. That's true. That's true. I think for me most recently, I'm not it's not so much the medicine, but the storyline. There's a show called The Good Doctor, and they did a COVID storyline, like when they first came back after we were allowed to start shooting again. I think their first season premiere episode was about the lockdown and what medical practitioners went through, especially the beginning of the the pandemic. And to me, that was super realistic because we lived it. And so they even touched on kind of like the microaggressions that healthcare workers faced when they were going out in public wearing their scrubs and people would kind of like give you a dirty look like you're going to give them COVID or mm-hmm. whatnot. And the, the stress of going home and thinking that you may have COVID or that you may be bringing COVID home and the stress behind that. or And they even did a, a storyline where a patient decompensated so much to the point where they did need ECMO. And so that kind of introduced ECMO into the world and mm. helped introduce ECMO as an option for COVID patients. So for me, I really enjoyed watching that. I didn't really watch the medicine because I was too busy bawling my eyes out. Yep. But the storyline was so relatable and, mm-hmm. and it, it touched me so, so much. Yeah, that sounds cathartic, I'm sure, to watch that. 
it was probably feeling like a sort of private experience that we didn't all know yeah. what you're going through. And those micro, how could I know, you know, what it feels like to walk around in scrubs in the middle of COVID after you leave a show? Like I would never know that. So that's, it's amazing that some of the shows are properly portraying that experience. Yeah. And, and it was funny because I have experienced kind of the same thing where I got in an elevator with someone and I was wearing my scrubs and, you know, the person was kind of giving me the side eye, stay away from me. And in the show, the person was like, just put on a mask or take the stairs. And yeah. that's exactly what I wanted to say to this person, but I, I didn't. But yeah, it was it, when I saw that, I was like, exactly. That's yep. what I'm talking about. <laughs> that's no, great. That's really cool. Yeah. You kept your cool. You might be a bigger woman than me. I probably would have accidentally thought I said it in my head and blurted it out. <laughs> <laughs> put your mask on exactly it's not my problem and also yeah. you might need me one day so be nice right, right. yeah, yeah. Oh, so many times i wanted yeah to say you that. want to say that <laughs> i'm sure i would love to know what you guys i mean it could be medical shows or any shows jason and i will talk about what you're consuming right now so it sounds like you watch some of your shows for research but also even any any shows you just love outside of research i have to confess <laughs> confess that right now I have a guilty pleasure called Vanderpump Rules. Oh, I think you're with that one. Yes, you're with most of America on that one. Don't worry. Yeah, that one, especially right now. Scandal. Yes, Scandal. Yep. And I'm actually going to watch it later on tonight with one of my friends because it's the season finale. I don't know. Have you heard anything about it, Jason? <laughs> I mean, I've heard of the show, um, but I but I haven't I haven't watched it. Although, isn't one of the characters in trouble in real life or something? Or does something happen in real life to one or there? Right? Yes. Oh my goodness. So, long story short, there's a couple who have been together for a long time, maybe like six to eight years, something like that, and the guy was cheating on his girlfriend with her best friend. Right. So that's about to come to light in tonight's episode. So that's Uh, my guilty pleasure because every time I think that my life is a mess, I'll watch that and I'll be like, "Hmm, I'm doing all right. Puts things in perspective. (laughs) Yeah, totally. Other than Grey's Anatomy, obviously, do you have a favorite medical show from history, from, you know, either current or past? Ooh, a medical show? I did enjoy Scrub, and I watched it before I had any real medical experience. So I heard that that's very medically accurate, but I liked it because I thought it was hilarious. Right, right. What about you, Allie? Do you have a favorite medical show at all? Thanks for asking, Jason. I used to watch a lot of Grey's Anatomy, me and my roommate, Savannah. Lots of Grey's Anatomy going on in our room in college. It must have been you then that that would ask me questions then. It must have been you and Savannah. I think it was. I think Savannah really followed it through to all the seasons. There were too many deaths to where I got... There was one scene, my least realistic scene, having no medical experience at all, was there was like a plane crash with all the doctors on it and they were almost all okay. And I remember being like, I mean, I don't know enough about physics or medicine, but I just feel like a lot of these people might not have made it. So that was kind of where I started to cut off that show. I was like, I don't know. I don't know. But I understood because all my friends were obsessed with the drama. It keeps you entertained. So that, and then when I was younger, I watched House, I think with my dad. And I think I just love that he was 
dry, you know, like his right. character is just so exciting. And he reminded me of Simon Cowell or like Gordon Ramsay or just like kind of yeah, scary, but really smart. What about I, you? Well, as a kid, I liked the show Sin Elsewhere and then another show called Quincy about a medical examiner, coroner, you know, who would kind of, who was kind of like a house, you know, as a pre who would kind of solve the death mystery of the week. But then a little bit later in life, I like, did you guys ever see or hear of Northern Exposure? Mm-mm. Uh, about a doctor who, I think he thought he was going to some like gorgeous, he, he did, he got free medical school. And then after medical school, he had to give back to give service as a doctor. And I think he thought he was going to some sunny place, but he wound up, I think in Alaska or something like that is where they sent him, you know, freezing. But that was kind of a fun show. And then another show I liked called Chicago Hope. Did you ever hear of that one? Mel? Yeah. No. Yeah. Sounds yeah. familiar, but I don't remember watching it. I think that, I think Linda worked on that. Maybe. Oh, comes back yeah. to Linda again. And that was with Mandy Patankin. You know Mandy Patankin, the actor? Either of you guys? No. No. Princess Bride, the guy. Oh, no. yes. Bride? Princess Bride, of course. Yeah, the, the dueling guy. You know, my name is Diego Montoya. You killed my father. Oh, oh yeah. yes. Amazing. That's Mandy Patankin. Yeah. And I really liked him. He was also in, uh, what was that show with Carrie? He was her, in, it looks like he was in Criminal Minds, Homeland. Homeland. He was also in Homeland. Yeah. But I really liked him as a surgeon in Chicago Hope. And then one more question for you, Mel, before, because that's usually our wrap-up question. But it sounds like you heard of Dr. Cohen before you met him. So I need to know if there's any gossip. What was his reputation before you met? Did people say he was nice? Is he the mean surgeon? I have no context here. I, I no, I actually didn't hear much. I just know that he was not Dr. Lou Cohen. Okay, so that <laughs> we can confirm. He is not Dr. Yeah. Lou Cohen. Yeah. Dr. But there's two Dr. Cohens, but he's not Dr. Lou. And there you go. But <laughs> before reputation. I, I just yeah. want to know, I, I noticed on your social media, you also do a lot of amazing charity work. And and I think it's important for us to just talk about that with, with your foundation. And, and I see you're with always with people with disabilities and, and things like, so what, what's that all about? And you're amazing. And I'm in awe and in love with you. Tell me about that. If, if that's okay. Yeah, no, I, it's actually, it relates because what I was doing with my extra money from working on television was that I was using that and putting that into savings in order to go on medical missions. I started going on medical missions when I worked at Cedars and I just kind of fell in love with helping people. And it kind of goes along with our job. You know, we enjoy helping people trying to change their lives for the better. And so with that, I got involved with another organization called Life Rolls On. And that's the one where we help people who are disabled, usually like in wheelchairs. We help them learn how to surf or learn how to skate in skate parks and everything and show them that you can do other things just have to modify how you do things and and to see the looks on people's faces when they know that they can surf one day it's just amazing because it's something that that we kind of take advantage of being able-bodied it's something that we take advantage of every day you know like today i was like oh maybe i should go surfing i was like i'll go tomorrow but for other people who don't have that ability for them to be able to go is just such a special thing for them and so i love being part of that and then from that 
I also help start my own nonprofit in which we help people who live on remote islands in the Philippines. We help them have kind of like the basic healthcare system. And we're trying to grow that so that they can be more self-sufficient with the basic supplies because sometimes they just can't even get gods out there. So a lot of times what I'll do is like after a show wraps, they'll actually donate their medical supplies or clothes or kitchenware to the foundation and I'll send them over to the Philippines so that people can use them. And so basically anything I can do to help improve people's lives, I'll try to do it. You're amazing. Yeah, that's very inspirational and also sustainable for you to use what was just used on a set and and then give it to people in need. If someone wanted to get involved with either your nonprofit or the one that you work with, how would they find it? How would they find you? They can find us on probably the easiest way is Instagram because I have links to the nonprofits or you can see what we do with the nonprofits. And so if you go on Instagram and look up Real Medical Consulting, you can probably find us there or our website, which is realmedicalconsulting.com. And if anyone even just wants to help or if they hire us as a consulting group, that goes directly back to the community because we use a lot of the profits that we make to go towards nonprofits. And that's R-E-E-L, right? Real Medical Consulting? Yes. 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 Definitely cheesy like that. I love it. No, I just want to make sure people know and they're, they're not spelling R-E-A-L. So they'll find you. Well, thank you so much. Uh, I I appreciate your time and answering both of our long list of questions. It's so interesting to hear about all the aspects of what you do. Yeah. Anytime. That was fun. I, I have a lot of time now that there's a writer's strike. So I bet you do. That's true. I definitely feel like this was just episode one of further ones to do in the future. So I really am hoping uh, we could do this again. Yeah, yeah I'd love to. Awesome. Don't worry, I'll give a list of questions for you. Cool. Thank you awesome. so much, Mel cool. and Dr. Cohen. Enjoy uh, the scandal wrap-up tonight. I can't wait. <laughs> Have a good one, you guys. Thank you. Bye. 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 You too. Thanks for listening to Gross Anatomy. As a reminder, Gross Anatomy is not intended to be a substitute for professional medical advice, diagnosis, or treatment. Always seek the advice of your physician or other qualified health provider with any questions you may have regarding a medical condition.